Money. It affects our everyday life. But how do we make more of it? Manage it. And make sure we make the most of our money. Welcome to Money Mindful, a podcast to teach and support you as you learn to manage your money. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to episode eight of the Money Mindful podcast. I'm your host, Megan. Let's get started. Super excited for this episode. As you are listening to this now, it is mid-November, but because of the magic of technology, for me, I'm actually recording this in the school holidays and it's the week of my podcast launch. Woo! So I'm talking to you in the future from the past. Ha! How cool is that? I hope I didn't just break a cardinal rule of podcasting by revealing this, but between you and me, this is not coming to you live. It's a beautiful sunny day in October and my dad has the girls for the day so I can get down to the business of recording episodes for the show. As I think I might have mentioned, I work full-time, part-time as a school teacher and part-time as a domestic goddess mum. So that doesn't leave much time for this lovely podcast, which by the way, I must say I am loving connecting with you guys so much. It's great getting feedback on the Money Mindful Facebook page and hearing what you want to learn about. I have to make the most of the school holidays to get these episodes ready for you. Hence why if you have reached out to me about something uh, that you're interested in, um, it will take a bit of time before it comes on the podcast as I pre-record ahead of time. I got the idea for this podcast from talking with Sally on Facebook. Hi, Sally. Sally in the UK, that is. I'm just going to throw that in there because I'm pretty chuffed that some people listening to this podcast from overseas. So exciting. So She said she wanted to know how to save for her children, um, sorry, for her child in the short and long term. So I thought this would be the perfect opportunity to talk about what I did and how I started saving for my kids. In episode six, Savers Are Losers, I talked a little bit about this. So for those who are just joining me now, I'll give you a recap. When my first daughter was born, I had been reading Noel Whitaker's book, Making Money Made Simple, and in it, he explains the power of compound interest and how it is actually time that generates wealth, not the amount of money you have. He gives examples of how two people want to save money. Person A saves $1,000 per year for 13 years and then stops. Person B dithers around for 14 years and does nothing. Then to make up for lost time, they start saving $2,000 per year and they do that for 35 years. So person A saves $1,000 per year for 13 years. Person B saves $2,000 per year for 35 years, but they wait 14 years to get started. So who ends up with the most money? you might be surprised to hear it's person A who only saved the $13,000. They end up with $690,000. This is like when they're 65. While person B who saved up 70,000 only ends up with 542,000. 
This is all because of the magic of compound interest over time. Well, for the first time after reading this, something clicked and I just thought, well, my daughter is only just about to be born. She has all the time of her whole life. So I decided then and there I was going to save for her future because I knew I had time on my side. We were only on one income at the time and had just bought a house, so we didn't have a lot of spare change. I decided that saving $15 per week was something I could realistically achieve. So that's what I did. I call this minimum baseline saving. I also talk about it in episode six. So you might want to check it out if you've missed it. It's a, it's just a a savings technique. So for the first four and a half years, I saved $15 a week. And when my second daughter was born, I did the same for her. So I had two high interest online savings accounts and I just stuck to my minimum baseline saving and put in $15 for each daughter per week. Now at this stage, I do want to add that a couple of years ago, I can't even remember why we had to do it, but we were really tight with money and I ended up taking out $1,600 from one of the accounts. I think it might've been when we were moving. I can't remember, but Uh, I did pay all that money back into the account um, over time, but I just wanted to tell you this because I don't want you to get a mythical impression of me. What I mean is, is that it's not like I just save money like, oh, tra-la-la, everything is rainbows and daisies. (laughs) That's not the case. I have setbacks. I sometimes spend more than I earn or get a big bill I didn't account for. Shit happens. And I'm telling you this because I get better and better every year the more I learn and the more I practice healthy money habits. But it takes time to change behavior and get your finances to where you want them to be. Well, at least it's taken me time. Maybe you're a quicker learner than me, most probably. So don't get discouraged if you don't have it all falling into place straight away is the point I'm trying to make here. Okay, so here's what I did next. I knew I didn't want to just keep the money in a savings account because the interest rates are so low and barely keeping above inflation. I wanted that money working much harder for me. I'm just actually looking at my goals on my office wall beside me and a couple of the things it says is start researching fund to invest the girl's nest egg and ASX stock training. I did both those things this year. So I knew I wanted to invest the money, but I've been so focused on property investing that I have been out of the loop for a long time when it comes to shares. I did buy and sell shares in the 90s when Telstra floated. Does anyone remember that? It seems like everyone under the sun bought Telstra shares back then. So I knew I needed to educate myself about what to do. On the ASX website, that's the Australian Stock Exchange website, they have an awesome education section where they offer free online courses about what shares are and how to invest. If you're interested in investing in shares, I might point out that if you have super, you are actually invested in shares already. But anyway... The ASX um, training videos are really simple and easy to understand with graphics and they explain it all really well. I got online and watched all the basic videos to just get an overview and summary of how it all works. I recommend you check out the website and I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Then I came across a book called The Millionaire Teacher. Obviously, I had to read that immediately For those not in the know, I'm a school teacher. So any book called The Millionaire Teacher is on my radar instantly. So 
And then I read uh, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. Both of these books explain what index funds are and what ETF, so that's exchange-traded funds, what they are and why it makes sense to invest in them. Can I just say at this point, you know I'm not a financial advisor, right? I'm just simply sharing with you what I do. So please check what's right for you. It's important, it's really important to talk about this stuff so that investing and money matters are common knowledge. And that's why I'm sharing my experience. But I'm imagining that, you know, you're, um, I'm sitting on my couch, I've got a cup of tea and I'm chatting to you like you're my girlfriend and we're just talking about stuff that I'm doing. So I hope that you are taking it in that vein. So when you buy shares in a company, you're investing your money into that company and you now own a very small portion of that business. And as part of that, you get to share in the profits and losses of that business. If you only invest in one or two companies, it can be very risky as you are relying on that one company to do well. If they lose money or go out of business, you lose money too, right? You lose the money that you invested. So there is always risk associated with investing. The difference with index funds is that you're able to buy shares in many companies at the same time. For example, you could buy an index fund of the Australian Stock Exchange, which would mean you would hold shares in every company in the stock exchange. Or perhaps you might buy an index fund that's got the top 200 or top 500 companies um, in the Australian Stock Exchange or in an international uh, fund. So according to marketindex.com.au, the Australian share market has returned an average of 13% per annum since 1900. So in the last 119 years, there's been an average return of 13%. Yes, the share market goes up and down, but even considering the major crashes, if you invested your money in shares in 1900, you would have received an average return of 13%. That's not taking into account fees or taxes. Um, Nevertheless, this is a pretty good return, right? So over that time, some companies would have folded, some would have lost money and others would have done really well. And that's why it can be risky putting all your eggs in the one basket, so to speak. However, if you had been invested across all the companies, as long as you didn't sell, you know, like after a major crash in the market, you would have made a pretty good return. Now, no one can predict what is going to happen in the future and where people get caught out is they see the share prices rising and think, great, better get in on this and then proceed to buy shares at the highest price, right? Or when they're, you know, moving into being the highest price or they see shares falling in price and they panic and then sell the shares at a low price. So this is not a good strategy. However, if you buy indexed funds that represent the whole market and keep them long-term, and when I say long-term, I'm talking a minimum, a bare minimum of 10 years, then it is likely you will have a good return. So that's why investing in shares is uh, – is good for um, my strategy for the money for my girls because they're only, oh, they're just about to turn three and five. It's going to be a good 
uh, what, like 15 years, 15 or 16 years minimum before I would look at accessing that money and probably later than that. So, yeah, uh, like uh, there's definitely I've got the long term to see that growth. So this is um, what I've chosen to do with the money I save for my daughters. Recently, when the combined total of the money saved was around six and a half thousand, I invested that money in a low cost index fund. The cost of the fund is below 1% and this is important. If you invest in a fund and the cost is above 1%, you are kissing goodbye to a large percentage of your profits over time. I can't think of the example off the top of my head, but in one of the books that I read, there was this crazy example of... Uh, the fees on a fund were 2% or 2.5%. Now, that doesn't sound like much, right? Even 1.5% doesn't sound like that much. I mean, to me, at least, anyway. But when they actually did the calculations of how much that is in fees over time and how much money that represents, and you consider all the compound um, interest and so forth, it was actually like hundreds of thousands of dollars that you were losing out of. Like that just blew my mind. I'm like, whoa, You, I wouldn't expect that. I would just see fees at 2% and think, oh, yeah, that's not that's not much, but it is. So, uh, yeah, just take that little point. If you're looking for funds, make sure the cost of the fund is very low, like below 1%. So you can basically buy the exact same index fund I invested in uh, as a exchange traded fund. So that means you buy it on um, as a share through a broker. But the reason I didn't is because I wanted to continue investing um, that $15 every week. Like I'm still continuing to save $15 every week for each daughter. So once a month I deposit $120 into the fund and I don't have to pay any brokerage fees. If you only have a lump sum of money that you're you're not going to continue to keep adding to, then you might want to consider looking at buying an exchange traded fund instead because the ongoing fund, uh, fees sorry are, are much cheaper i think you can you know uh, i actually i don't know off the top of my head but i know they're a lot cheaper than 1% um you you don't pay much in fees at all but what you do pay is the difference is when you buy an exchange traded fund, you have to go through a broker and their fee can be between like say eight or $30 if you go through one online. And this would not be cost effective if you wanted to add money every month, because every time you wanted to buy more shares, you'd have to pay that brokerage fee, like that eight to $30. So there goes your profit, right? So that's why even though exchange traded funds are cheaper with their fees, it's not cheaper for me because I'm continually uh, investing more money each month. So it works out cheaper for me to have the index fund. Anyway, whoa, (laughs) you're still with me? All right, let me summarize. uh, So these are the steps I, I took. So step one, I saved what I call the minimum baseline amount every week. For me, this um, this is $15. For you, it might be $5 or $50. It all depends on what you can comfortably fit into your budget. Step two, once that amount approached the $5,000 mark, 
um, and this took me over four years, I started researching how to invest to get a better return than what I receive in the savings account. Step three, I read The Millionaire Teacher and The Little Book of Common Sense Investing in that order. The Little Book of Common Sense Investing is a little bit more technical. I mean, it's not it's not too much, but The Millionaire Teacher, he actually, you know, was a teacher. Now he just swans around the world, I believe, with his wife. They've, they've got themselves totally sorted. Yeah, he explains it really simply and I think – even the lay person, if that was the first book you picked up, you could understand that. The little book of common sense investing, it's not that technical, but it's just a little bit more involved. So you'd want to be really interested. Otherwise, you might find that book a little more dry. In both those books, um, what I found was most helpful is they explain how to invest for the long term and with minim- and how to minimize risk. So I've only covered the very basics here today to get you thinking, but if you're serious about investing in shares, take the time to educate yourself about it. Just imagine you're researching your next holiday. It's worth putting in the effort. Okay, step four, I looked up some index funds. I worked out my risk appetite and then picked the fund that suited me. I picked one with a mix of Australian shares and international shares and bonds. I I picked sort of like a mid-range, I guess, um, in risk. I'm fairly conservative. If I was in my 20s, I'd probably go the highest risk one. But um, yeah, I just feel more comfortable with not going all out. Okay, you've got the basics. I'll um, put a link to all the books and the sites that I've covered today in the show notes. And before I leave you, did you know there is a Money Mindful Ladies Club To join the club and be part of a community of financial femmes like myself who are working towards kicking ass with their money and life, you can sign up on the Money Mindful website. I'll put a link in the notes for that too. Have a beautiful week. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Money Mindful podcast. For more info, visit moneymindful.com.au. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe. And remember, the information in this podcast is of a general nature only and does not take into account your personal circumstances or goals. Please seek professional advice for your own financial needs. Remember to have fun along the way.